0: The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at wwwtheunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at Real the underdog.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I'm joined as always by my co-host up in Philadelphia, Chris Smalls, Angelos, and Smalls. This year, this week, excuse me, busy week, NCAA tournament. We went small college, Justin Potts, head coach at Moravian, 20-9 uh, this year, won the Landmark Conference NCAA Tournament win against, I believe, Keene, uh, Keene State maybe, and uh, just a great dude. A-, a guy that brought up a lot of really good points, I thought, and I-, I know that you felt really strongly about this, but he was at East Stroudsburg in the PSAC for 13 years, and we talked for a long time about whether or not it's the right time to take another job.
2: Yeah, that's that's really the thing. When you're when you're someplace for 13 years especially as an assistant, first off you know that guy is truly loyal number one and he's probably doing his job pretty damn well if he's staying there for 13 years. So knowing what's the right job and why you're taking a job I think that's really the question, right? Is why is this job a good job for me? Not necessarily from the outside because he talks about having other offers in the past, uh, job offers, places he's he could have gone. He found the right place, the right situation for him and his family. That was important to him. And I think that's really when you're listening to this podcast and you're listening, not every job's the right job. If you do have the fortunate uh you're fortunate enough to have multiple job offers or have a job offer one year and have another one the next year you've got to really evaluate and make sure you can be successful and you can be happy there as well and i think that's what uh coach potts kind of talked about in our podcast
1: i agree with that and then we talked a little bit about some different things that he had done and he he has an unbelievable story about when he was an assistant at East stroudsburg having to coach the women's team at the same time as the men's team and it is a very funny story. There's a lot of parts about it that I think people will chuckle and be like, this is insanity. But at the same time, you know, it taught him a lot about himself. And I think the most important thing about journeys in this business is being introspective about where you are in your career and, and what you can do no matter what job you're doing. So whether or not you're Dan Burke, and you're the head coach at Wilmington, and you know, you're also a facility director, or you're Justin Potts, and you're assistant at East Stroudsburg, and you're also the women's coach, or you're TJ Deckmar, and you're driving an airport shuttle, all those things matter for, for where you are in your life and, and where you're going to be. And so I would say, listen to Justin Potts and listen to some of the things that he learned about himself having to roll in a situation that was not necessarily the most fun, but also was very difficult for him. And, and that's part of this podcast that like, and I mentioned at the time, it's like everybody has stories like this, but at the same time, how people handle them and how they handle adversity is a huge problem, kind of precursor to, to who you're going to be when you eventually get a chance to run, run your own program. And it's not a surprise that in just four years, he's won the landmark twice and won a game in the NCAA tournament his fourth time. So I would say like, those were the two biggest takeaways, tremendously funny guy, uh, tons of pregame routines. Uh, His family owns a hot dog shop in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So if you're ever there, check out Paz hot dogs, no free ads, but he was a great guy to have on. We talked a little NCAA tournament at the division one side. I kind of went negative about how I hate the NCAA tournament and, and, you know what it does for people's perception but smalls our guys at temple owls got in uh they will play tonight tuesday night against belmont they open on BavadaSportsbook a sportsbook.com as a three and a half point underdog but like i'll say dumps last tournament win came in dayton ohio so he's comfortable in that gym smalls we are the owls are comfortable in dayton ohio
2: and that's just something I know. And, you know, from experience, we're very comfortable. The Owls love to hoot and Dayton. And that's why I'm going to go to my Belvada account and I'm going to, uh, possibly, I'm possibly going to take the Owls on Tuesday night and I'm really hoping and they win, uh, not just for that, but I want to see Dump make a little bit of a run here. I think, uh, Maryland's a very beatable team, uh, a very young team and in the tournament, you know, that can hurt them. And we're, where teams tend to get upset is when Temple, a team like that, has a lot of seniors, a little bit of an older team, more experience. So hopefully they can pull it out against Belmont and then go on and beat Maryland, and we'll see where they end up. But I'm excited for the NCAA tournament. First weekend's always one of my favorite weekends of the year. Partially just because basketballs, you got upsets, you're drinking, you're eating, it's perfect. It's like the Super Bowl in steroids, baby.
1: It is a good week of the year. Like I said, uh, I say to the end of the show, it's, it's a little unfortunate that so many people's kind of like the perception of their job as a coach is attached to a single elimination tournament, but it happens. Didn't really have any problem with anything that happened selection Sunday. I mean, everyone wants to complain about seating. It, it just kind of is what it is. I feel like all the teams at the end of the bubble are not very good. One other thing to keep in mind with this episode, we did record a little bit differently this time. So if the sound is a little bit worse you know, please let us know, like reach out to us and, and let us know if you don't like kind of the way that we did it with this one. But we're going to do a little bit of new video platform so we can get some more video stuff. Maybe you can see Smalls and I gestulating on screen a little bit more, but we're going to get some more content out there. We are going to the Final Four. We did not get credentialed, uh, which is not a big deal because we're going to be there and our presence going to be felt, but I understand it. It's, you know, they don't credential just podcasts. That's not a big deal. So if you guys see like, Pardon my take is out there. Hopefully, we'll, we'll figure out that they wrote something on college basketball this year because that was a little disappointing, but not a huge deal. We're still going to be there in Minneapolis. Uh, we both get in Thursday. So uh, that's going to be really exciting. And like I said, hopefully, Temple's there. But no matter what, like, this is just a super fun time of the year, super fun time to watch. And as well, as we talked about it, Like it's not a super fun time to be on the sidelines. It's a, it's a really fun time. When you're in it, there's nothing like it. And whether or not that's Division Three, Division Two, Division One. NAIA, JUCO, whatever. When you're part of the tournament, you get a chance to compete to win the national title. There's nothing better.
2: Uh, there really isn't. And it's exactly what we talked about. It's why we miss it so much. This time of the year really brings out that, uh, you know, feeling of missing the coaching game and missing everything that goes along with it. With the players' joy, honestly, is the best part. Um, being able to win and lose with your guys, it's, it's all a great experience. But like you said, Final Four coming up, we're going to be out there. Anybody, you know, come up, hang out. We're not, you know, we're not inventors, right, Tyler? We're we're not the inventors of this world. So you can come up, hang out, have a beer, have a conversation. I think that's what we're really looking forward to just connecting and having a good time.
1: Yeah. If you're going, re- reach out to us, email the show, create your shot at gmail.com. Tweet at us, create your shot on Twitter, create your shot pod on Instagram, create your shot on Facebook. Just get in touch with us. Let us know you're going to be there. I'll have a bunch of koozies out there. As always, if you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher, give us a five-star rating, leave us a review. If you do that, get in touch with me. I'll send you a koozie, but we'll have some stuff out there, Uh, potentially going to do some interviews out there, get some video content. That'll be very, very cool. So a lot of really good things happening for Create Your Shot in the future. Also, if you are going to go on Bovada, check out their Celebrity Bracket Challenge uh, for celebrities filling out their brackets. Very, very cool thing there. They do offer a couple different deposit bonuses as well, so make sure you're checking that out because as Smalls and I both know and everybody else, if you're an NCAA coach, don't bet on it. If you're anybody else, this is an unbelievable time of year to just watch 16 games a day Thursday and Friday and just fire some discs into the abyss and hopefully you know, you, you think of it as an investment. But very fun time of the year. Winding the season down, which is actually kind of a good thing for us Smalls because we usually have better success getting coaches when there's not stuff going on in season. So... You know, the spring and summer is a really good time for us as well, I think.
2: Oh, definitely. I can't can't wait to have more coaches on. You know, they won't be watching film for 23 hours. They'll only be watching for 22. So they might be able to spare a couple minutes. No, nah, honestly, a lot of coaches have been really gracious with their time. But, yeah, I'm excited to uh, have a couple more on in the spring and the summer. And we got good stuff coming your way, guys.
1: And then uh, just a real quick heads up as well for guys that are still for the tournament. If you want to be CYS Army supporters – uh pete lap is an fdu tuesday night in the first four right smalls yes yeah prairie view a it's gonna be a big game a must-watch a must-back dumping the owls right after uh on tuesday night and then uh dwayne killings and the marquette i believe they're the golden eagles now that's a you know it used to be the golden flashes or something but marquette against john morant and murray state and then luke Yaklich, two seed against montana matt langle 15 seed gonna upset Tennessee you heard it here first and then uh who else am I missing Smalls I think that's it for CYS Army so we got five people five guys that were really kind of rooting pretty hard for it's
2: pretty good five out five out of 68 not bad not bad at all for
1: what's that guy. what's that percentage real quick Smalls Re- real quick right off the top of your head oh
2: 8.12 percent maybe I,
1: I, honestly, I, don't I don't know, know. I, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I don't know All right, that is it from us. Like I said, get in touch with you coming out to the final four. Create your shot at gmail.com. And enjoy this interview with Justin Potts. A lot of really good advice, really fun guy to talk to, and a guy that I think is going to be an absolute star because, like I said, he's he's already made his mark in the landmark conference in four years. So (laughs) enjoy this episode. And as always, thank you, everyone who listens. welcome on Justin Potts the head coach of the Moravian Greyhounds coach you are coming off a twenty nine season an NCAA tournament berth and a first round win in the NCAA tournament over Keene State but season is over so how are you doing in the first couple weeks since uh, your season's ended
0: uh, I'm doing good you know what I mean when you get through the the season uh, you always try to look back and reflect a little bit on, on how things went I, I felt you know we obviously had a good year and um, it's nice to be back uh, you know, on bus pickup now. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm <laughs> I'm getting my do- I'm getting my daughters off the bus and um I'm making more peanut butter and jellies in the morning for school. So uh but but it was a good year and, and obviously this time of the year is great to spend some more time with your family and, and kind of decompress a little bit.
1: Absolutely. Uh getting back to kind of how the season did go, you know, like you mentioned to us off the air, your your wife is killing you about how you coach with a person and keep your personal life in order, but you guys, did, you guys did win the landmark championship and made the NC tournament and won a first-round game. How fun was this season for you guys?
0: Uh, you know what? It, it was a lot of fun. Um, last, we, we won it last year as well, which was the first time in school history uh, for a conference championship. Um, you know, to get back there and do it again um, was, was something that was probably a little more challenging the second year, I think, just because, you know, the old championship hangover type thing that, that you worry about. Um, but we had a veteran group. We had a lot of guys back. Um, you know, I, I joked with them at the end of the season. They they almost look like, you know, like an NBA team. Like they just waited for the for the end of the season to start playing. Um, so I got to figure out how to solve that problem next year. But, um, you know, it was a lot of fun. We, we had great support within the community and the campus, um, you know, and, and we have two guys I think are, are all-timers at Moravian and Jimmy Murray, who's a Plymouth White Marsh kid, and O'Neill Holder. Um, both those guys scored over 1500 points so um they made me look a lot smarter on a lot of nights that's for sure um but it, it was fun and i think to get back to the ncaa tournament the year before we got we got beat up pretty good by ramapo um and i think this team kind of had that chip on their shoulders that they wanted to get back to that stage um and, and prove we could win a game and, and the school had never won an ncaa playoff game um so to, so to be able to do that um and, and give those guys a great experience in the ncaa tournament um was, was a lot of fun and i was just really Happy for them to, to get to you know have that kind of journey, especially for the seniors.
2: You said it right there. I mean, in your you know current for finishing your fourth season, you guys have improved year over year, and even last year you did the say tournament. Now you win a game in the NCA tournament. How do expectations change, and how are you setting them? You know, for the upcoming years, maybe next year to start, and then following that for your team.
0: Yeah, it's uh, a good question. I mean, I I think the one thing that we've tried to do um, since I got back to campus is not really uh, you know, and maybe it's a little different than some coaches or or maybe some do do it this way. We don't really have goals before the season starts. So it's not like, Hey, we want to make the playoffs. Um, You know, we want to be undefeated at home or anything like that. Our goal has been the same every year since I've, since I've taken over and that can we be the best version of ourselves at the end of the season? Whatever that means, that might mean making the playoffs, that might mean, you know, getting to the conference championship, um, you know, but can we max ourselves out? So when we look back at the end of the season, we say, hey, you know what, this is what this is as good as we were going to be. Um, and I feel like we've done that, which I think has probably led to the, you know, the progression a little bit. My first year, we won 11 games um, and I inherited a team that had won five games. So we kind of doubled the win total and played pretty well at the end of the year. The next year we got to the conference championship and lost um, to a really good Scranton team. And then, um, you know, to get back the last two years and win it, I think just the focus on, Hey, let's just try to get a little better every day, um, which is obviously probably a little bit of coach speak. um, But I think our guys really believe that, that if we just keep kind of working and working and working, that by the time we get to the end, we should be good enough to hopefully make the playoffs and and then see what you can do once you get in there. Um, So the expectations won't change. uh, You know, anytime, um, a local guy that covers us ask these kind of that kind of question. It's usually the same thing. I just said, hey, the goals will always be the same. while well, I'm here is how good can we be by the time the journey ends. And and this team was good enough to win a game in the NCAA tournament, which going into the year I thought that would be possible. Um, you know, obviously it was. It was very rewarding for it to happen.
2: Is there a philosophy behind that? Maybe you picked up from your time at East Stroudsburg, and by time I mean a long time at East Stroudsburg, right? You were there for. <laughs> 13 years, uh, I believe. And, uh, you know, you did an incredible job, but, you know, learning from a guy who Jeff Wilson, who continues to turn out tremendous East Stroudsburg teams. And, uh, you know, I, I just want you, and I know this is bad journalism, but talk about your time to East Stroudsburg, how that helped you develop, uh, into your first head, head coaching gig at Moravian.
0: Yeah, it, it's definitely been, um, was the biggest influence in my professional career for sure. Um, you know, working for spider was unbelievable and pretty much everything I do at Moravian is a direct influence from him. Um, you know, for the most part, even some of the things that I've changed, I still, you know, still kind of comes from his philosophy or his ideas. He was very big on kind of what, what we just talked about, like, Hey, let's just keep working and working and work and let our work kind of speak for itself. Um, you know, and, and if we're doing the right things every day, it's going to pay off at the, at the end of the season. Um, you know, and the success that he's had at East Stroudsburg um, is just amazing to me, you know, and, and to be a part of it for 13 years, as you said, it was, it was a long time. Um, you know, what, what I learned was the more you just work at it, put your head down, don't get worried about the distractions and the outside noise and those kind of things, and just concentrate on coaching your team and working with your guys. Um, it's going to be beneficial for you. That's kind of where we picked up, or I picked up, the philosophy of of the relationship part of coaching. We were very involved in our guys' day to day operations, you know, whether it be academically or um, socially or those kind of things. And we built really good relationships with them, which I think allowed us to be successful. Um, and again, what he's continued to do there—I mean, to go to an Elite Eight last year, uh, to win the league again, which I think is the fifth time in seven years they've won the East.
2: Which is insane. And the, everyone who doesn't know the PSAC and the PSAC East, West, whatever it is, is it's just incredible to be able to have sustained success at the top and win championships. Cause that league is an absolute gauntlet. You're talking about a ton of teams. You're recruiting against the same guys all the time. It's, it's wild. Exactly. It really is.
0: It, it is, it is a brutal league with, like you said, a lot of really good players. Um, you know, a lot of good coaches, you know, you get a lot of division one guys, um, dropping down to some, some in the East, some in the West, um, you know, of all the championships that he's won at East Stroudsburg and all the success he had. The one thing I try to tell people all the time is they have the longest streak in the conference of 16 or more wins. And I think, you know, for guys like us that understand how, how hard it is to win in college, like that's ridiculous. When you think about it, I think it's 13 straight years, 16 or more wins. Um, yeah, I mean it's just, you know, if, if my career goes anything like that, I
2: think I'll be in good shape. Yeah, I think you will too. I, <laughs> I wanted to I mean, we had Justin Scott on here, uh, obviously had, you know, success this year with Arcadia building that program up as well, but he comes from that spider tree, that East Strasburg tree. What is it? And I want to ask this just because I have a little knowledge of it about coach Wilson's strategy of building recruiting within their assistants. How does he teach that? But how does he condition it within his assistants that recruiting, you know, needs to happen a certain way and this is the work ethic and this is how you go about recruiting in a certain way.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I think the the first part of that, his coaching tree is, is tremendous. You know, obviously myself and Justin, um, you know, he's got, uh, Sean Mumford who coaches up in the high school, uh, up in the East Stroudsburg area as well, won a district title last year. Um, you know, so he's got, and then a, he's got a couple other assistants that are, that are still out there. Greg Van Pelt over at Ryder was a GA of ours. Uh, Ricky Hernandez was my assistant and is now down at John Hopkins. So it just goes on and on. Um, and I think what, you know, the, what, what he does a really good job of whether you're a graduate assistant or, or like I was with him for 13 years as a top guy is he, he gives you a chance to grow and develop as a coach. So he's going to give you every aspect of the coaching, um, you know, philosophy or, or what goes into it from scouting, recruiting, um, individual workouts, you know, all those kind of things. He lets you get your hands on everything and involved in everything. Um, the recruiting is probably where I learned the most from him. Um, because actually, when when I interviewed for him, I almost didn't take the job because the program at East Stroudsburg had won four games the year before. Um So I I actually drove up and watched like a workout, and I left going, I think our I was I was an assistant at Moravian at the time. I'm like, I think our Moravian team is better than that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. Worried about I don't career suicide moving over to ESU, <laughs> correct? So I was like, I don't I don't think I'm going to take the job. And he said to me listen, we are going to build this and we're going to build it the right way. We're going to go recruit Philadelphia, district one, we're going to run, we're going to press, you know, I I have an idea of how to do this because he had had some success as an assistant at ESU. Um, So he did a good job of recruiting me because I originally was like, this is not happening. Um, So, and then in terms of his, like, you know, basically philosophy and recruiting, it was, it was very simple. We're going to outwork people, Um, you know, and, and the, the funny part in the beginning of my career is he made me wear a suit to every game I attended as a, as a, as a, like when I went recruiting. So I was going into the Catholic league or the pub and I was wearing suits and, and all these other coaches are in sweats and they're looking at me like, who, who, what is this guy do And I, I finally said to him, I think it was the second or third year. We, we needed a pretty good class and, and we ended up getting it. And I said, I'm done. I am not wearing the suits anymore. Like I've had enough of this. Um, but that's how, that's how I kind of got, you know, baptized into his philosophy of we're going to, we're going to separate ourselves, you know? And, and there was a lot of guys, my first two years, I joke all the time. Like I was very rarely at practice because we had to go out and get players to get it rebuilt. Um, you know, and, and guys would say to me, like, do you have a twin? Cause I've seen you at a public league game. Then I saw you at a district one game. Then I saw you back in Allentown catching, you know, the second half of the game um, he had me all over the place and it was it was great for me to learn that, you know, we didn't have full scholarships. So we had to try to separate ourselves and, and we were able to do that by just, you know, the the old fashioned just work hard and be visible and um, you know, we played Bloomsburg in a conference game one night and he's calling a baseline out of bounds play and I'm tugging on his jacket and I'm like, What are you doing? We don't even have that in. He's like, Oh, we put it in two days ago, you weren't here and I was like, Oh, oh that's that's good to know. <laughs> so there was a lot of there was a lot of things that happened. X and O wise that I didn't know the first couple of years because I was on the road recruiting so much.
1: Do you make your assistants wear suits to all your ga- all their games now when they're their first year on the uh, job?
0: I don't, but it's a good idea because I, I think I should just to make them go through what I had to go through that, that first,
2: first year or two. Um, now we're going to get the blame. I, we're going to get the blame yeah. for unlocking this. It's coming I mean, here, here's
1: here's the point. other thing too, that people don't consider like 15 years ago, a lot of those gyms in the pub and even like the Philly Private League didn't have air conditioning either. So like if you're going to like engineering and sciences one night in North Philly, like you're walking in, in a suit and it's probably 95 degrees in the gym because there's, you know, it's a thousand people in there and there's no AC. Like I could see that being a toughness thing.
0: Yeah, it, it was, it, it was one of those things. And you know, I, I wasn't making a lot of money either. So it's not like I was stepping out there and had really nice suits, you know? And, and then I had to find a jacket to wear over the suits Cause it was cold a lot of times when you were standing outside the gym. So uh, it, it, it weighed, I finally, like I said, I finally got to the point where I was like, coach, Will, I'm not doing this anymore. Like we, we, people know who we are now. We don't need to keep wearing the suit.
1: It, it's, um, a, it's an interesting kind of thought uh, experiment, I guess. Like how, have you guys separate yourself? Like you walk in and you're like, oh, we know that's one of the guys from ESU because they have suits on. And like, you know, everyone else has just got the random like uh, Bloomsburg sweats, whatever, they kind of blend into the crowd. But like guys in suits, I can't imagine that's a regular thing people see recruiting these days. Especially, I mean, nobody wears this. I know of one coach ever who used to wear suits to AAU events. Just one guy and he's no longer in the business. But like you knew who he was when he walked in. So it's actually, I, like I said, it's an interesting thought experiment from uh, Coach Wilson.
0: Yeah, yeah, def- and it, like I said, it definitely worked. You know, and and it got my I got my chops busted a lot by other assistants. Um, you know, but it it definitely I think you know his thing was if you if you're doing that and you're you know being visible and those kind of things, you're looking very professional. You know, so if you're going in to watch a game, you know, and you you end up you know mom or dad see it, they're going oh man, you know he's got a he got a suit on. He you know took the time to do that. Um, you know, so I definitely think it helped. Uh, you know, I didn't love it the first two years, that's for sure. Um, but you know, his, his basic, you know, idea in, in recruiting, I think what's trickled into me and Justin Scott is build a relationship, um, you know, be visible, get out and, and, you know, find guys that believe in you as well. Um, you know, and, and the philosophy that we had at East Stroudsburg to running and pressing, which is the same way we play at Moravian. Um, not everybody's built for that as one of our GAs used to say. And, you know, when we recruited, we did as much interviewing as they were interviewing us to make sure that, you know, guys understood, hey, you're going to sacrifice some minutes. You're going to sacrifice some shots, you know, just in the, in the style and the philosophy. So I'm definitely forever indebted to him for basically opening my eyes up into the business, um, of recruiting and just kind of, you know, how to be successful doing it. Um, and, and then, you know, what goes into it.
1: So you were, like Small said, you were at ESU for 13 years and, and Moravian before that. And, and we know you're a Moravian grad, but what, what made Moravian the right choice for you? Because I'm, I'm quite sure once you guys had a good bit of success, you could have had some other opportunities if you wanted them. So so why, you know, 13 years, like what was like, okay, this is right. This is, this is where I want to go.
0: Yeah, I think for me, it was, um, you know, it, it was probably a combination of things. When I when coach Wilson ended up getting me to take the job at East Stroudsburg, I was kind of set on getting him, um, you know, back to what East Stroudsburg had been when he was an assistant winning the conference championship and, and those kind of things. So I wasn't going to leave until that was accomplished. Um, and part of that was, I really loved working for him. I liked the, I liked the Um, You know, I, I never, I've lived in Bethlehem my whole adult life. So I've never, I never lived in East Stroudsburg. I always lived down here. Um, so I never had to move, you know, I mean, I've had two jobs or worked at two places and never had to move. Um, you know, by the time I got to that 10th year, when we ended up winning the PSAC, I knew I was ready to be a head coach. And then it just came down to what was the right situation for me and my family. Um, you know, I, I have two little daughters now. I had one at that time. Um, you know, and, and I was really big on, I didn't want to kind of disrupt, um, that side of life i didn't want to have to be moving all across the country and and those kind of things and i had i had a few opportunities before that that i didn't take um, division two head jobs that i turned down um yeah and, and this one just felt right like you said i mean i'm an alum um my dad was born and raised in bethlehem about two blocks from campus um so so you know it, it had been an area i've always come to even, even when i was a little kid from coming from new jersey and so I just felt right. Uh, you know, I worked for coach Walker um, when he told me he was going to retire, you know, I, it was definitely a job I really wanted and, and felt that I could, um, you know, get. And then when I got it, I felt like I could find a way to be successful at it. Um, you know, and 15 years as an assistant is a long time. I, I joke with some of the younger assistants that are out there. i you know, the guys want to be a head coach right away and this and that. And my thing was I was undefeated as an assistant. So I wasn't too <laughs> quick to give that chair up. Um, You know, and and I really enjoyed working for him. And and the style probably kept me there as well. I I love the running and pressing, you know, and as you guys know, not a lot of people do it. So if I were to leave there to go be an assistant somewhere else, I wouldn't maybe have that that style or or that aspect of the game. So that kept me around. And he he treated me really well, which was great. Um, But when the Moravian job opened, that was the one I really wanted. Um, You know, I think every guy dreams of coaching at their alma mater. Um, so it was, it was one that, um, I had envisioned myself going after, um, you know, when I kind of got into coaching hoping that could happen one day. Um, so to be able to come back and, and, you know, be back on campus has been really rewarding.
1: Yeah. One of the things that's become very interesting in the coaching world and, and, and obviously this is at the highest levels, but also in division one is, you know, now you can, you can like go on Bovada and you can like bet when coach, what jobs coaches will take. So when jobs open, you just kind of look and see like, Oh, what connections do people have? So, I think a lot of times, like you said, your point about people's alma maters is really important. My my curiosity more so with you becoming a head coach, like you said, you had some other opportunities. Justin, did you end up interviewing for other jobs? And and how did you improve, you know, in the room with athletic directors? Like, like how did you make sure, like, by the time Moravian opened up and you were like, this is it for me, that you knew you were going to be the one to get the job? Because I think young coaches don't know you know, first of all, you walk in and you're like, yeah, this is how I want to play. And then you start getting asked all these questions. Like, how are you going to fundraise? How, what's your staff going to be? What are you going to do with this budget? Like, and you're kind of like, oh shit, I've never really done this before, you know? And so wh- for you, you know, wh- what was that like? How did you get to the point where you're like, I'm getting this job, I'm walking in the room and it's my job.
0: So it's probably one of the, one of the best um, things that coach Wilson ever did for me. And and I've now started to do it with some of my young assistants about the sixth or seventh year I was with him, he said, okay, you're, you're starting to get to this point where you're going to have an opportunity to get involved with you know, jobs and this and that. He started mock interviewing now. And, and when I say mock interview, not just like me and him sitting in the office and he got a committee together on campus. We did a phone interview. I walked in the next, you know, next week. Um, he had me wear a suit again. And There's a recurring theme there. Um, so dress, for, was, dress for the was,
1: job you want, not the job you have. <laughs> correct,
0: right? Correct. Um, and there was a, there was a committee that, that was sitting in our like conference room at East Stroudsburg. And the one that threw me off is he had brought my high school coach back that day. So he like sh- my high school coach showed up that day to kind of talk about like basketball questions. So he, he put a lot of thought into it. Um, and it was a mock interview with like him, my high school coach, um, one of our um, professors on campus, uh, one of the um, ac- our uh, disciplinary deans, and it it did exactly what you said. Like it touched on so many things that I think at that time I didn't understand. And those like mock interviews, I did two of them um, before I ended up going on uh, an interview, um, you know, for another job. And I thought those prepared me so well just to have an idea of hey the room's not just going to be about basketball you know like you said it's going to be budgets and fundraising and camps and how do you deal with alums and all those kind of things um so that like preparation and the mock interviews were really important in me kind of growing as a a young coach and then being able to eventually when I started interviewing for jobs feel really confident about my ability to you know to handle the room and, and get my message across about how I was going to do things. Um, And like I said, I've I've done that for some of my young assistants as well.
1: I I think that's awesome. And it's funny. You mentioned that like the room's not going to be about basketball because I think of some of the other, you know, D2 and D3 coaches we've had on in the past. And I remember Nevada Smith saying when he interviewed with RGV and Daryl Morey and those guys, like that was the first interview he had ever been on where they actually were having him like X and O on, on the screen. Like what's your philosophy or whatever. Cause Casey Stitzel told us like at Millersville, when he got in the room, it was like alums from around the city like that were asking him questions about Millersville basketball. And it wasn't like, hey, how are you going to play? It was like, how are you going to indoctrinate yourself into the community? Like, How are you going to make sure that Millersville basketball is the most important thing in your life? And it's just like, when you're at these levels and there's so many other things that go into being a head coach, it's, it's a very different kind of interview process, I think. It's almost more professional than it is maybe sports related, if that makes sense
0: yeah I, I definitely think you're right, I think because you know in, in the smaller college level, like you said, there's so many other things that you're gonna have to do. you know your staff's not going to be you know four or five assistants and an ops guy and those kind of things. so you know the travel and the and the budgets and the scheduling and you know hey uh, we're having a you know we're having a, a event on campus, you're not going to have a gym you know you better make sure you know guys in the area that can get you into a gym and those kind of things. so there's there's definitely a lot more. Of that, like you said, that goes into it, um, as opposed to, hey, just the basketball piece. Um, So I I thought those really helped me. And and like I said, when I, you know, when I went into interviews, I felt very comfortable at least having some experience in a room with people, you know, kind of firing questions
1: at you. Guys, if you like our show, you're going to love the Dan Patrick Show on Podcast One. Join the All-Star Sportscaster for all the excitement of March Madness as he breaks down all the plays and predicts the outcomes in this year's NCAA Tournament. Download The Dan Patrick Show every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
2: Listen, guys, we tell a lot of stories on this podcast, but every car comes with its own share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag On your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True True Car. Simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out true car today. True cash offer not available in all areas.
1: And now back to Justin Potts.
2: The transition from division two to division three always piques my interest. Uh, What was the most difficult thing I guess adjustment period for you from D to East Stroudsburg where you guys have built it up. And I'm sure, you know, the scholarships kind of came and there was funding and different things like that. And then going to Moravian where you're a division three school where there's definitely some things you can do, but it's totally different. So what was the biggest transition or uh challenge for you?
0: Yeah, I, I think the biggest challenge was not having that scholarship to, to drop yeah, on the table and say. <laughs> say hey we're going to help pay for your education um with with you know
1: (laughs) justin justin could you recruit with a lot of the same philosophies though not having scholarships or did you have to actually like look yourself in the mirror and be like okay this is going to be a little different i need to switch up not my baseline philosophy maybe but kind of how i close guys
0: yeah i i haven't changed much to tell you the truth we 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 recruit pretty similar the way i did east Stroudsburg, obviously besides the the scholarship money um and I think what we were really good at East Stroudsburg and, and I've tried to take it to division three is having an open and honest conversation. You know, we, we didn't, um, early in the, early in my time up there, we didn't have a lot of scholarship money by the time we left, by the time I left, we did, you know, and a lot of that was fundraise money and those kinds of things, but we were still running and pressing. So we couldn't dump all our money into three guys. We we had to find ways to, to break it up and, and expand the money um, you know, and and be able to add depth into the roster. So now that I'm at Moravian, obviously you don't have that scholarship. The, the, the honest conversation is the cost. Hey, we're sixty thousand dollars. You know that that's a that's a big number. Um, that so is got, a, big, you that you is a get, big
1: number.
2: That's a very big <laughs> yeah. number. A lot of cash.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm still paying. I'm still paying my loans back. You know, I graduated uh, nineteen years ago. Um, So I, I know what goes into taking loans and those kind of things. And I think you just have to be upfront and honest with families and kids and say, Hey, you know, here's, here's the situation. Here's what we cost. You know, we have academic money and, and those kind of things. And, and, you know, once it's all pieced together, you know, it, it can tend to be a pretty attractive package for some and, and might not be good for others, but philosophy wise, we've been pretty much the same. We're, we're um, you know, we recruit the same way in terms of getting out and seeing people and, and being active and, you know, trying to build that relationship. Um, You know, one of the things that that Coach Wilson taught me earlier is it's a no business. So we're going to say more no's than yeses, and kids are going to say more no's than yeses. You know, if you're getting recruited by five schools, I'm going to say one yes. Um, So I think it's just explaining to people, hey, you know, this is how we operate. This is the way we're going to do things. You know, this is the situation that it's going to look like financially for you and that kind of stuff. And um, the one line I've told every recruit in 19 years um, is if you don't want to be coached, this will be a terrible decision. Because um, even when I was in East Stroudsburg as the assistant, we were going to coach you tough and demand a lot out of you. And I do the same thing at Moravian. So um, I think when you can be that you know, forthcoming and honest with guys, they know what they're getting into, and then they can make an informed decision as to if it's the right spot for them.
2: Hey, and not to focus too much on East Stroudsburg, but I did a lot of in-depth research, a.k.a. I went to the Moravian site, clicked Justin Potts' name, read his bio. You coached 55 games as a dual job at ESU on the women's side. You got to describe your experience for me, just from balancing that act, number one, and then how you... How did, how did you enter that? How did that come about, essentially, where you became the women's coach and stayed for 55 games?
0: So the best part of that, too, is it was in my, like, just approaching the end of my first year of marriage as well.
1: So, <laughs> so whoa.
2: Now, this this is, that's amazing. That is amazing to me. Well,
1: this this is like the stuff when we talked about starting this podcast. It's like you you got to find out the guys that have like really grinded it out, and they everybody has these different stories. But so far, you're you know, we've heard about people who are like the golf coach, like the tennis coach, but you're the first person who was coaching two teams in the same season. <laughs> it
0: it was uh it, it was obviously a, a chapter in my life that will will never be uh, forgotten. Um, so. Like I said, I was, I was in, my, in my first year of marriage. Now, my wife was a, a Division One athlete. So she at least had an idea of coaching when I, when we got married. Um, I like, you know, I'm going to be coaching the women's team as well. You know, it was like, what? what wait a second. How is that even possible? So the women's coach had resigned. Um, I, I want to say it was like uh, July or August. Um, they did a search. And while they were doing the search, they asked me if I would put the girls through like preseason stuff. So I was like, yeah, like you know, no problem. I'll I'll put him through like some um, you know, skill workouts and those kind of things and
1: sounds um, like sounds like that was your first mistake, coach. The the second you were on the court, they were like, he's not leaving. You
2: know what? Correct. <laughs> Give this guy a little bump, it's okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, everything'll be fine. He's young enough to do it. So they searched it and at the end of the search it it failed. Um and I don't remember the exact specifics. I think they had offered it to somebody and they turned it down and then when they went to the next person they had already taken another job or so they they came to me and they said um they came in the office it was a it was a day of uh, i'll never forget it. it was a friday and coach wilson and i had just played in the uh east stroudsburg football golf outing um so it was you know october like the first week of october they came and they came in and said hey coach you know we we need to talk to you um we don't have a uh, a head coach for the women's program. The search failed. You know, you've been working with the team, so you know it. It just seems like natural that you could coach them. And I'm like, what? What seems natural about that? I'm yeah, like, um, yeah. so I said, uh, I said, oh, I said, I, I don't. How would I even do that? And they're like, well, we looked at the schedule, and um, you know, there's there's only one tournament that's not together. You know, it was the preseason tournament in Strasbourg. I think was going to Shippensburg in like a classic format. And the women's team was going up into uh, to Merrimack to play a tournament up there. They said, other than that, um, you won't have to miss any any men's games. Um, so I was like, okay. So you know, in my mind, I was going like, there's no way this is really going to happen. So because they also didn't have an assistant at the time, um, there was only a there was only a graduate assistant. So I was like, all right. So they left, and I looked at Spider, and I'm like, I, I I'm not doing that. Like I can't. I've never coached women before. I I worked, uh, one women's camp actually at Arabian for coach Spurk, who's our women's coach and and our athletic director. Now I worked one camp for her in like 2001. So I was like, I have no experience coaching women or, and spider looked at me and he's like, Oh, you're doing it. And I was like, I'm like, aren't you supposed to be on my side? He goes, if you don't do it, they're going to ask me to do it. I was (laughs) like, Oh, that's a good point. (laughs) So, um, so they came back a couple of days later and I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I I'll do it. So it was, um, you know, like you guys said, it was 55 games. All the practices were back to back. So it was four hours on the court of practice. Um, and you know, probably the toughest part was the women, you know, when the, when the coach had resigned the year before, there wasn't much of a recruiting class in intact. In so there was four seniors, um, I'm sorry, three seniors that, you know, I had known, obviously, because I had been there and, and um, you know, watched their careers because we always played double headers. I, I felt, you know, bad for them because we didn't have much success. We went, uh, I got to remember, I think we won four. I think we were like four and 21. And the men's team had its best season in school history. We were 24 and six. So we would play the first game of the doubleheader, normally get our butts kicked. Um, I would get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich from my wife on the way by. I'd go back to the locker room, um, get all the information I needed from Spider, and go back out to the court, and we, and we won. So the men's team's joke became, we have to keep you over above 500. Like, we're going to get you above <laughs> 500 for the season. <laughs> so um, and, they, and they did. I mean, like I said, the men's team had a great year. Um, you know, it, it was a, a surreal experience, you know, just to, um, to be a head coach because I had never been one. And then to coach the, the women's game, which, you know, is different than the men's, there's, um, there's a lot of things that I had to try to figure out on the fly. Um, probably the, the thing that helped me the most is I got seven technicals
2: that year on the women's side. Nice. Um, awesome get your fill you were like I'm not staying here I'll just like I'll dominate the technicals
1: well it probably though just just on a serious note like it did probably teach you a little bit more about you know how do I need to act on the sidelines because a lot of young coaches Without are doubt. yellers and screamers and all of a sudden you're like well this isn't working and our talent level still isn't very good so correct you know it's a good way for people kind of to tell you as you are going to be a head coach later on in your life like you know how you look I guess from the outside right
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I, I didn't realize I, the officials didn't take too kindly to my sarcasm. I guess there was a lot of, you know, lines in there that, that I probably, probably, you know, overstepped the line. And the funny part was Justin Scott was my assistant. So he was on camp, he was on campus and um, working in the diversity office and was doing some stuff with, with the men's team. And I actually said to him, like, I, you got to, you're going to be the assistant. Like, so he actually became the women's assistant that year um, and didn't do much with the men's program. And I always joke with him today. Like if they were smart, they would have hired you. Like yeah. they would have just hired you as, as the, you would have, you would have gone into the women's game. Um, so the two of us, and I thought about getting thrown out a couple of times. Like we were getting beat by like 30 or 40 some nights, <laughs> thrown I thought, out so I start could get, my scouting. <laughs> exactly. I could get the second team and let Justin take over um, and give, give him some experience. Uh, but it definitely did teach me a lot about, you know, how to handle situations on the sideline and, um, you know, just probably a lot about being organized and, you know, what goes into it. I, I always joke, the three senior girls on that team were all um, from Bethlehem. They were all Freedom High School uh, players. So they still, uh, ever since I coached that team, they stopped by the uh, Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. They stopped by my house every year. Um, oh,
1: wow.
0: So it is it is kind of cool that, I was at least able to create a, a bond with that group of girls. Um, and I, and I say all the time, I, I have two daughters now and it's, it's the curse of 2009, 10. Like I, I don't have a son. It's probably cause I coached that women's team, you know, cause there was a situation in practice one time where I was you know trying to get a message across and, and I turned around and there was a girl, she was crying. And I looked at one of the seniors. I'm like, what do I do? And they just started laughing, like really, because this, this could happen numerous times this year. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not really equipped for that right now, um, so I, I don't really know how to respond to that or how to handle it. Um, so it, it definitely, you know, opened my eyes to uh, to a lot of things. I will say this: the women's players were much better listeners than the men's players, without a doubt. They were able to, you know, follow a direction or or follow something and understand that part. Um, You know, so I I definitely learned about, you know, kind of being thorough with your message for sure.
1: Uh, Justin, real quick about that. It also probably taught you a little bit how to lose, right? Because I know that you, you know, you said at ESU, you guys weren't great to start. And then obviously you took over a Moravian program that you've now successfully, you know, turned around, but you're not the type of guy, at least it doesn't sound like you're the type of guy that's going to be like, well, I'm four and 21, but I'm not going to be here very long. So how did you kind of learn how to lose, you know, like, like. I don't know how to better phrase the question. I'm not smart enough, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. Like, cause it's not an easy thing. Like I've only been a part of one team on staff that we really were bad and it's a very difficult thing to deal with. I think.
0: Yeah, it, it was, um, from, from that standpoint, it's a good question. I, from that standpoint, I learned a lot about, you know, to, to steal the Sixers phrase, the the process yeah. like of what goes into winning. Um, you know, we weren't overly talented and and um you know it was a really young team uh, again because there wasn't a whole lot of recruiting um that year before, so I think what it it probably did most for me in terms of like just learning how to how to deal with the disappointment is that as a coach they're gonna they're gonna look at you and they're gonna try to figure out, have you thrown in the towel, did you give into it? do you not believe we can win? So your message in that locker room is going to impact them a lot going forward to the next day. And obviously there wasn't a lot of success. So you had, I had to keep finding ways to say, Hey, well, you know, we, we did this better today. Now if we can add this, you know, this piece to that, we might, you know, get a little bit closer to, to where we need to be. Um, and just continuing to get them to believe that we're doing the right things. It's going to pay off at some point. And if it doesn't result in a win, it's going to pay off in your life because this has been a challenging year. So you're going to learn that, Hey, when I go out and get a job, if it's not going my, my way, I got to keep, you know, working and understanding that I got to continue to try to find a way to be successful. Um, and I think the kids will, will feed off that, you know? So if you're going in there and going, you know what guys we're a bad team, it's not gonna, (laughs) we're probably not going to win. Um, you know, and like you said, I, I, it wasn't a thing for me where, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm just going to mail it in. It's not really going to affect my career. I was trying to grow as much as I could professionally in that situation and keep sending the message to the team that, Hey, we're, we're going to get there. We're going to figure it out. We, we just got to keep believing. And, um, you know, I, I think, and all the way up until the, we won the last game of the regular season, which was our only road win of the year, you know? So there was a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. It was like, okay, we, you know, we, we finally, we finally pieced some things together and figured it out. So, it it really helped me i think operate in the locker room in terms of sending the right message to your team after the game because i think as a young coach you think i got to get on them we were terrible tonight but the reality is after what i learned is after losses you got to build them up more than you do after wins
2: yeah it's <clears throat> it's a really good point listen and throughout this podcast and through all of our interviews You can hear through coaches and through yourself that it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work to build a program, but probably even more to sustain success. Uh, And we're recruiting all the time. We're trying to get better professionally, coaching, and trying to balance that act with our personal lives, or in this case, our family lives. So how do you go about balancing coaching all year round? Division three is all year round, despite what people think. It's every kind of day type of thing. How do you balance that with your personal life?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, and and I think, um I think for young young coaches out there, I think the biggest thing is understanding that it's just a game at the end of the day. Um, you know, and I think sometimes when I was a young assistant, I, you know, every recruiting situation or every game or every, it felt like a win and a loss. When now that I'm now that I, you know, I consider myself to be on the older side, now I look back and go, you know, it's it's more about are you enjoying the journey of it? You know, and what I do is I get my family involved in that journey. Um, As I mentioned earlier, my wife was a division one athlete. She played field hockey at James Madison. Um, You know, she's easily the best athlete in the house for sure. Um, So, you know, I I, uh, I get them involved. You know, so we have the team over my house a lot. Um, you know, my daughters are in my office a lot after school or, um, you know, my youngest one's still in preschool. So she, there's some days where I'll just bring her right into the office and, and, um, she won't go into preschool that day or or daycare. Um, and they, you know, they basically, my daughters basically have 16 older brothers every year, um, that they get to be around and, you know, they really enjoy, um, getting to know the guys. And I think the most important thing as a coach is get your, get your guys to see you as a husband and a father because a lot of times they only see us as coaches um, you know and I, I want my guys to be around me and see me in the other areas of my life and, and how I operate and how I do things and not that I have all the answers to, to, to being successful and in all in, in those facets but they might pick up one or two things that I do do well um, you know as a father as a husband and if that can translate to them you know, when they go on into their adult life, then then I'm helping them that way um, as well. And then I think when the season ends, um, you know, and like you said, it never really ends because you're constantly recruiting and doing things. It's it's to try to get away from it a little bit and and spend time with you know with my daughters. Um, you know, my my youngest one, we just taught how to ride a bike without training wheels the other day, and you know, I think like if if that was a month ago, I probably would have missed that opportunity. Um, you know, so now to be able to to spend more time with them. And, um, you know, my oldest one, I take recruiting. So she'll come to games with me and, um, you know, ask, you know, which player are we coming to see? And, you know, oh, he reminds me of Jimmy Murray or, you know what I mean? So that, that, that is pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> and I actually talked to Justin Scott about that cause he's a, he's a new father. Um, you know, and I said, you, you have to just embrace, you know, being a dad and, and, and being a husband and, you know, our, our family kind of, um, is the basketball program and our, our guys get to, you know, see my personal side of life, whether it's stopped by the house or, um, again, the girls coming to practice. So I, I just try to get them as involved as I can. Um, and then never take myself too serious. You know, I, I'm coaching college basketball. It's, uh, you know, I've been living my dream for 19 years. So, you know, understanding that, um, there's a lot of people that would probably like to trade places with me um so you know not taking myself too serious and understanding that you know this this should be a fun experience for everybody involved
1: yeah i think that's the key is remembering that people just think you have the most fun job in the entire world and that their entertainment <laughs> is is your job and I, th- I i really always especially this time of year you know conference tournaments nca tournaments all that stuff coming up smalls has texted me a couple times about it like if you're out of the business this is a hard time of the year to kind of forget like how fun it is you know like just e- even if you win or lose it's just it's just so much fun like you get to watch highs and lows and it, I don't know it's just it, it really is it's the most fun there is and this time of the year is just crazy so good segue by me no big deal we're gonna go yeah, into coach great segue no it's a great segue <laughs> we're gonna go into coach speak this is uh Bruce Pearl but I like I said this is uh, we wanted to talk a little bit more about your season this year and you know as we are it is selection Sunday while we're recording when this airs on uh tuesday we'll know kind of where everyone's slotted in on bovada right now duke is the favorite to win the ncaa tournament division one level but we will see in this is bruce pearl after his win yesterday against florida in the sec tournament i was actually out on broadway in nashville yesterday it was crazy kentucky fans everywhere but smalls this is bruce pearl on trusting his guys
2: yeah i'm living and dying with my guys they're the ones who got us here. I trust my players. And obviously, you know, Tyler mentioned it. It's Bruce Pearl. How do you grow trust within your players during the season, Justin?
0: Um, that's a good question. And I think, you know, what we've done at Moravian is um, we're very distinct the way we play. So we run, we press, we play really fast. Um, you know, we take 30 to 35 threes a game. Um, we've led the league in scoring three of the four years that I've been there. Um and this year I if I remember, I think we we're like tenth or eleventh in turnovers for us. So I have to put a lot of trust in them because they're gonna make a lot of decisions through the course of a forty minute game. Um, you know, so one of the things I try to do is let them play with with a clear mind, let them just play free. Um, you know, we we don't run much offensively. We're pretty open, uh, you know, so we don't run a lot of set plays or those kind of things where we're gonna try to create closeouts and um you know, put them in situations where they can drive it and kick it or drive it and get it to the front of the rim. Um, so our job, it has to be done in practice of getting them to understand, okay, well, these are the concepts that we need to be good at. And this is what you need to understand when you're, you know, putting the ball on the floor here and those kind of things. So I give, I give them the ultimate freedom. Uh, you know, when I played, which was a a very, uh, you know, long time ago and not a very memorable career. Um, I had a red light. I had a red light as a two garden college, which, I mean, that's hard to do. You know, it's not, it's not easy. So all my guys um, have the green light. And I think part of that was because I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't a very good scorer shooter as a player. And I always kind of remember that like, Hey, we'd we prefer you not to really shoot the ball and it makes it tough to play. Um, so I want my guys to know, Hey, I, I trust you. You're, you're going to make some, some wrong decisions during the course of the game, but I have complete trust in their ability um, to understand what we're trying to accomplish, um, and I think they play—they play that way. They play pretty free and clear mentally, which has allowed us to be successful. Um, and I think you just—you know—kind of like like Bruce Pearl said, like they're your guys. I mean, I, you know, these are the guys that we've chosen to be here. Uh, we got to believe in them. We got to, you know, instill confidence in them, and then trust that they're going to do the right things on the court.
1: And then at the same time, I think you can actually tell sometimes when coaches don't feel that confidence in their players from year to year. Like, and I don't want to, I don't want to put any words in your mouth, Justin, so please don't take it this way. But like in your fourth year, you you probably feel much better about this group than, you know, probably in your second year with the level of buy-in, like running your system and everything. And and this year's group of guys, and maybe even next year as well, you're like, you know, now you're comfortable, like you're, you're ending games with timeouts in your pockets and stuff. Cause you, you do trust your players, but I do think there are certain groups. And and when you watch basketball and everyone's watching it now, I think you can tell sometimes when guys don't feel that way about their players, cause it's, it's a different kind of level of coaching.
0: Correct. I I definitely agree. Yeah. My, my first year or two, um, you know, I probably called more time out to any game stuff to try to figure things out or, um, you know, to try to slow a rundown where now I, I kind of, like you said, I, I, it's my group. Um, This was the first year of all my guys. Um, So I think there was a little bit more of, okay, these guys have kind of been through it. They, they have some experience. We had two seniors that were um, four year starters, so those guys had a very good understanding of, of what I would, would want in situations and were able to kind of you know, make that happen. Um, but I definitely think you can see it. You, know, you can tell when, when that level of confidence or trust isn't there. Um, you know, and I think teams that win at this time of the year or in playoffs, it usually has a lot to do with the trust and the confidence because uh, you know, you're playing a lot of really good teams. So that little bit of an edge can make a difference between a win or a loss.
2: Hey coach, are you, uh, I'm always curious about this. Are you more of a end of a game, let your team play, or are you calling a timeout or is it just completely situational how the game's flowing for you as a coach?
0: I'm a, I'm a let them play.
2: Chaos. Um, I love it. Playing chaos, baby.
0: That's right. We're, we're, we actually, uh, this year we were at Juniata um, at the end of the year, towards the end of the year. And they made a shot with, I don't know. It was probably like, eight seconds and I'm never a timeout guy. And for some reason I was trying to call a time. I mean, I was on the court and, and I'm calling for it. The one kid that's running near me is calling for it. And the ref never gives it to us. And Jimmy Murray drives the length of the court and hits a floater at the buzzer to send it to overtime. And I'm going, Ooh, thank goodness. You know what I mean? But yes, I'm a chaos guy. I think you can get a better shot in the open floor with, without, um, you know, letting the defense get set and those kinds of things.
1: And you never want guys to be able to sub and stuff. I I was really, I don't know, I I always think about this. Like you see coaches sometimes that call timeouts and then our guys make a shot simultaneously and then they have to go to the bench and it's like you're never kind of coming back from that. And But I always am, especially if you have older guys, because like if you're tied for sure, I get it. Like you should always go, I think, if you're tied. If you're down two and you fancy yourself like, you know, Brad Stevens, baseline out of bounds, genius or whatever, then then sometimes I understand it. But I agree with you. I just think chaos always favors the offense because the defense is more likely to make a mistake. Like referees are more likely to probably call a foul when things are going nuts, I guess. I I don't know if that's actually true, but I'm a big uh, chaos guy as well.
2: Yeah, you you're a big analytics guy. So you should you should have those stats up, Tyler. I'm a little ashamed of you right now.
1: I just I just always feel like at the end of the game, like I, I don't know. This this is gonna make me sound kind of fraudulent as a coach, but like I don't know how even the best like sideline out of bounds guy, I, I just don't know if that always is gonna work because like you never know if players are going to do things exactly right. Whereas like, it feels like every player is pretty good in transition. You know, like you get the ball out of the rim or something and it's, it's a tie game, like guys going downhill. Like I don't want to stop that momentum. Something better is probably going to come from that rather than like stopping, catching my breath. If the other team is really good at scouting, maybe they know what you're going to run with seven seconds left. Cause they've seen it on film. I, you know, I just think that it, there's so many different things that can go wrong. And that's where I do think that level of trust is so important. And, and we see it a bunch You. Because there are coaches I know that will always call timeouts, and then there are coaches who will never call timeouts.
0: Yeah, and I think, like you said, the one thing at the end there that you said is the, the amount of scouting now that's done, you know, the synergy stuff. and all, I mean, there's so many things that are available for us as coaches to figure out tendencies at the end of the game. And, you know, hey, if he calls timeouts, you know, side out of bounds, this is what they've run. So you can prepare your team for that. Um, and then the other thing is the, the ability of players today to switch. You know, guys can guard multiple positions now. So now you get to the end of the game, you you call a timeout and you wanna draw something up, you know, and they come out, they're switching everything. So whatever you drew up maybe doesn't work that well against the switch or um so I agree with you. I think the open floor lends you to a guy going, Oh, I'm gonna go take that guy and start a run. Now he leaves a guy, you swing it one more, you you know, you you a lot of times could get a more open shot that way than you're ever gonna get, um, you know, drawing something upside OB and and I do I do not have the uh the Brad Stevens genius level and my and my creativity from the side out of bounds.
1: I can't remember who we were joking with, but but somebody was saying like during the Celtics playoff run last year, like he was kind of like watching Brad Stevens plays. And then at the beginning of this year, the first like 10 teams he played all ran like the same two Boston Celtics <laughs> sideline out of bounds plays.
2: It's awesome. Uh I'm gonna transition over another great segue by us, but we got City Review and yeah, we have city reviews in big cities, Philadelphia, New York City, Boston, L.A. But the ones I love are those small little towns. That's what I love to learn about. That's where the guys, Division II, Division Three, are recruiting. They're stopping in. They're seeing some guys. They're grabbing a bite to eat. So I'm really excited about this. It's not the birthplace of Jesus, but it's <laughs> close. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Coach Pods are giving us three restaurants. <laughs> Two bars, night spots, and one activity to do in Bethlehem. I heard you had some sources on this, so I'm excited.
0: Yes, we did. I did a little. I did a little research last night uh, when I was when I was with my family at a, at a friend's house. Um, you know, tried to pick their brains a little bit about where they would uh, where they would go. I am going to say that I I'm not going to use my family's restaurant. my My family owns a hot dog shop in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania.
1: No, um, what's it called? Because they got to
0: try yes. it. Throw it yeah. out there. It's, it's uh, Pots's hot dogs. Pots is hot dogs, for, dogs. It has been there for it has been there for forty eight years. Wow. Um, I that's probably what I would be doing if I wasn't coaching. I'd be rolling hot dogs, you know, at a grill every day. Um, but I'm not going to use that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna give you breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Love so that. I'm gonna say the best breakfast spot, and this is not just in Bethlehem. This might be in the in the eastern half of Pennsylvania is dardo's it is a it is a little a little place uh, right off the main street in uh, in bethlehem it's probably like i don't know three or four blocks from our campus um best uh, best uh breakfast potatoes you've ever had wow they, they yeah. are they are, are they well phenomenal. done or what yeah they're crispy they're um yeah and uh so dardo's would be my breakfast spot um you could also do lunch there they got a great BLT as well um Lunch or you know, my second choice would be martellucci's pizza. Mm. So we we feed the team a lot from there. Um, they have really good chicken parm and those kind of things. Um but the pizza, the pizza is excellent. Uh they have a thin crust Sicilian. I know that probably sounds like an oxymoron.
1: It
2: does. Um yeah, that, yeah. it is an oxymoron, but continue. Yeah. <laughs> not a real
0: not a real so, thing. <laughs> not a real thing. But it is it is excellent pizza. Um and probably where i spend you know uh almost every friday night during the season i'm picking that up on the way home um and then uh main street in bethlehem has a lot of good restaurants but the one i'm going to go with is the apollo um mostly because their appetizer their appetizers are unbelievable i mean they have like a full sheet of page of appetizer choices um we were actually just there on friday night um, and it is it is a great spot Nice little bar area, good atmosphere. Um, and then you're within walking distance to the downtown area
2: of of, uh, of Bethlehem. So the Apollo, Dardo's, and Martellucci. I love it. I'm a small plates kind of guy. I know Tyler is too. You get a bunch of appetizers for the table. Everyone's picking. Everyone's having a couple drinks. You're not too full. It's almost perfect. And you're on the crispy train, which is huge. I mean, I feel like we can hang out.
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you this, though. I'm a small plates guy with the right company. I'm not doing this thing where, like, you're not allowed to have something that everybody orders. You know, don't come to small plates with me and order for yourself. That, that's my thing. Like, Correct. so I'm, if I'm with a group of yeah, people, we got to be
0: on the same team. 100%. Yes.
1: 100%, 100%. We need yeah. communication. Also, when the bill yeah. comes, we're just splitting it. Like, it's not like I ordered these things. It's just however many people, it's split right down the middle. That's, that's what right. I need. And then I'll go to Great any point. small plates places.
0: Seriously. Yeah. I, I, I like that. I think it goes back to what we talked about. There's got to be a trust level
1: i mean we we <laughs> we, we,
0: we got to make sure that we're, we trust that we're going to be able to share these we're trusting about. our guys well, you right. just, you just never know
1: bill. you just you just never know where you get a couple and then all of a sudden like the guy maybe he's new to the group and he just he pulls some crazy shit and you're just like look man this you're never getting another dinner invite again or at least not to a small place place that's for sure
0: correct correct um two night spots now i'm, I'm up there you know what i mean i i don't i don't uh I don't spend much time out late night. I know Justin Scott said the same thing when he was on with you guys. I'm not quite sure I believe that he's still, he's still pretty young. <laughs> um, so, but I do have a young assistant. So they go to a court. Uh, I think it's Corked like bar and lounge or something. That is their, that is their night spot. It's right on main street in Bethlehem. Um, from what they tell me, it's a great spot. I have never been. Um, but that would be uh, one of the night spots. Um the second one, I I don't, I'm going to say my, my back deck in, in the summertime.
1: <laughs> I you love know what I mean? Like, coach you know, we're we, there. We, we,
0: Yeah, we hang out there a lot. We got the tiki torches set up, and you know, just 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 enjoy a night sitting, sitting out back, relaxing. That's
2: perfect. Um, That's perfect. And then this an one activity. activity yeah.
0: uh, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but Bethlehem is um, is home to the largest outdoor music festival.
1: Isn't it called Music Fest? Music Fest. It
0: is it is a, a ten day event um, in the beginning of August. You can get all sorts of types of music. They got food vendors. They uh, shut the streets down. You're able to you're able to drink. Um, you know, walk through the streets. Everybody gets mugs. So you just put your beer, your drink in your mug, and you walk you walk through downtown Bethlehem. So I would say Music Fest is a must stop if you've never been to it um, to come up for a day and. You know, just just take a walk around
1: the downtown area of Bethlehem. I, I, uh, as Smalls knows, uh, this girl certainly doesn't listen to the podcast, but I did date a girl from Bethlehem for a good while in college. Uh, It was ended up being a bad recruiting job by me. Definitely, uh, definitely a swing and a miss. But I went to Music Fest and my, my favorite memory is that we got to Music Fest at like noon or whatever. I ate a funnel cake. Then I had another funnel cake at three. And then before the concert at eight, I had another funnel cake. So my my three meals a day at Music Fest were funnel cake. And I had three different toppings on each one of them. So pretty good day at Music Fest. That was probably the only yep. good thing that came out of dating uh, the girl from Bethlehem. But I, I, Music Fest is a good time. Like those mugs are awesome. Like it's actually not a crazy expensive place either. It's just typical like fair exactly. type stuff. But it, yeah. it, it is good. Uh, all right. Ten touches. I got the first five rapid fire question and answer. Who's the funniest person you ever worked with?
0: Funniest person I ever worked. I'm going to say coach Wilson, um, dry sense of humor, but, um, you know, I, I know the guys that have played for us that then became assistants always were like, I never knew he was like that. You know what I mean? Like just, just, just a dry sense of humor, uh, quick one-liners kind of always busting on guys. So I would, I would go with coach Wilson.
1: All right, you've been around the Division Two and Division Three life for an absolutely long time. What is your worst travel experience coaching basketball?
0: Uh, I, I would say traveling to the middle, to the western part of the state in vans that had 110,000 miles on them um, to recruit because we didn't have a great recruiting budget, so we weren't renting cars. We took the school van. So I was in a 15-passenger van by myself <laughs> driving to go see kids play. It was ridiculous
1: i hate i hate driving those uh they're the worst like nobody everyone's like oh you should be good at it. it's like the things like a boat it's so funny. yeah uh, <laughs> Yeah. If, if you if you have free time what what tv show are you binging I, a lot of people with kids always tell us they watch more, way more kids tv than anything else but if you have a chance like you and your wife get some alone time to watch them tv what are you guys watching
0: i'm a big uh chicago pd or seal team
1: oh okay okay cool. um, i like it yeah what, uh, what would you be doing if you weren't working in sports? Yeah, I think I'd be working in
0: the family business. I think I'd be rolling hot books.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, that'd yeah, be, ama- work, that'd be amazing.
0: <laughs> well, I know this. my uncle who runs it now. My grandfather originally started. My uncle works two days a week and go and golf's the other four or <laughs> other three. What? So yeah, I mean, it's a pretty lucrative business. It doesn't seem like it would be, but well, he's basically got high margins. Did- yeah. He, yeah, exactly. He basically goes in, opens the door at like nine thirty, and on Tuesdays and Fridays. And, um, he's on the golf course by noon every day. My,
1: my guess about Potts hot dogs is that they've got a lot of regulars. Like he knows people that have been going there for like 30 to 35 years that come in to see him and get a hot dog and talk to him.
0: Correct. People walk in the door, you know what they're getting. Um, you know, so that's probably what I'd be doing or, um, I was gonna I planned on being a teacher. I was an English education major, but it probably still would have led to coaching at some point.
1: Right. Uh, I, I think we see that a lot. Like the parallels between teaching and coaching and and you know getting in, maybe it's coaching high school. It's you know, it's not your full-time job, but you're teaching, you still have relationships with kids, and then you're still able to coach at the same time. We those parallels are are pretty pretty solid. Uh who's the best player you've ever coached against?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. Um I'm gonna say Stephen Dennis at Kutztown.
2: Oh, um, dude. Would, dude. He was, he was he was
0: he was he was nasty, um, and we had some really good teams back then, and had some great games against them. But it, I mean, no matter what you did, he was walking away with twenty five or thirty years you, you,
1: you couldn't stay in front of him. Like he was one of the best. No. I, I remember. So one of our good friends, Ryan Nemitz, who now coaches at Cardinal O'Hara, play he played at Kutztown for I believe a year and a half before he tore his ACL, and he backed up Stephen Dennis. And he said, like in okay. practice, it was just crazy. Like you just. He was so athletic. Like he was trying to figure out, like how that guy ended up at Kutztown. He had. He was in the D League for a good while. He's been overseas for a long time. Like just an unbelievable like steal for them to get him. Yeah. Because and I think he went to like Henderson High School. Like shout out Will Smith, I guess, in Westchester out there. But he just like he he just said he was like to this day like one of the most athletic players he's ever seen at any level of basketball.
0: Yeah, he he was an absolute stud, and um, for four years just terrorized us. I mean, no matter what you did, like I said, you, you could put a bigger guy on him. You could put a smaller guy to try to get underneath. It didn't matter. Um, you know, he, he was getting to his spots. He was scoring. He was getting other people involved. Um, he, he was just absolutely phenomenal.
2: If you could change one thing about college basketball, what would it be? Oh, I would say the media timeouts, um, which
0: I know will never happen. Um, but the way we play, we're trying to play fast, and, and I don't want the game to stop. Um, you know, we only used them this year when we made it to the NCAA tournament. Our conference doesn't use them, um, but I would I would say the media the media not in small college basketball because I don't think you know we don't we don't have the media attention. Um, you know, I, I know it's beneficial for you when you make the NCAA tournament if you've had used them. You at least have a, a better feel for them. Um, but I, I would say that or moving the three point line back.
2: Yeah, and we, we didn't have them at Philly uh, U in our conference, but uh, anytime we went to play at a PSAC school or in the NCAA tournament, it kind of messed us up because you don't get the same flow. It's, it, it should almost be across the whole – it should be the same rule across Division Two and Correct. Division Three. just makes no sense to change it up. Wait, Smalls, you guys yeah. didn't have media timeouts? N- not in the CICC or anytime we played a home game. It's just it, We never did.
1: It was great. That's the stupid. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Though that the rules are di- that the rules are different. No, no, oh yeah, no, no. I, I don't yeah, mind yeah. like media timeouts or not. But like, what's Division Two doing if they're not like like that's that's, yeah, that's, like, that's like a very different part of the game. Like you've to be successful
2: on the tournament too because your your players are not used to it, and yeah, it gives them rest and stuff. I guess, but it also we've been playing with the rhythm all year, so. It, not, not an excuse, but it always always <laughs> messes us up. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think it should be a blanket
0: rule. I agree with you guys. It should be either, hey, Division Three, everybody's going to use them or nobody's going to use them. Um,
2: you know, so – yeah, and we're, we're definitely for moving the three-point line back as, uh, you know, everyone seems to shoot from half court and 6'10
1: guys <laughs> shooting from threes. It's it's yeah. the simplest thing. Just just make it to FIBA three-point line. Like, more guys are going to play European basketball than in the NBA. Like, it, it's, a, it's a very easy transition. Guys are way too good now. Like, I just think, like, that's probably the easiest change they could make, and I don't think anyone would complain about it. I, I really don't. Yeah. What's your – What's your best moment as a coach?
0: Uh, whew, I've been I've been a part of a lot of good ones. I would say uh, winning the conference championship at Moravian, uh, not this year but the year before, because it was the first one in school. It was the first one in school history. Um, you know, it, it was it was emotional. I was pretty emotional. having been an alum, and um, you know, been an assistant there beforehand. Um, but that senior class. Uh, there were two guys, Matt Cardone and Khalil Their freshman year, the team won five games. So to to flip it around and win you know win twenty in a conference championship for those guys to go out uh, was really special. Um, and to do it on the road too, you know, our two conference championships going into both of the games, um, the two teams we played were a combined twenty four and zero at home, um, and we won both, and we and we won both of them. So to you know, to win a, a championship game on the road against a team who hadn't lost at home all year, and then the same thing again this year. Um, but I would say the first one was was a little more special, just because it was my first one as a head coach and the school's first one. Yeah.
2: What uh, do you have a pre-game routine? Any uh, superstitions?
0: Yeah, my as my wife would say, stupid stitions. Um, there, I, I am. I am very routine driven. Um, almost, almost a little OCD. I would probably say. So, uh, growing up, my grandfather, um, would eat tasty cakes a lot and he would, he would eat them. The the chocolate cupcake ones that come in like that three pack, he would, he would eat them with a spoon. Yeah. So he would take a spoon and like cut it off and dunk it into the milk and then eat it. So probably for the last 10 years, I have three, I call them game day cupcakes. I have three cupcakes in the morning. Um, with a glass of whole milk. With now, my daughters are involved in it, so they wake up on Wednesdays and Saturdays, and they're flying down the stairs for game day cupcakes. Um, so I do that, and then if it's a home game, I actually walk down the street to is and have a hot dog. Um, and the and the the hot dog will depend on if we won the last home game before. So if, if we did, I'll stay with the same condiments. If we didn't, I'll switch it up. Um, three pieces of gum. Um, the first piece starts um, usually right around, like, 40 minutes prior to the game. Um, the second one will be right before the team comes back into the locker room. And then the third one will be, as they announce, the last guy in our starting lineup. Um, I'll, get, I'll get rid of the second piece, put the third piece in, and take three sprigs of water and throw the cup into the garbage can.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually was a – I would put two pieces of gun in my mouth for the first half and if we had a good first half, we were sticking with that gum for the rest of the game. If we had a bad first half, we were switching over to another flavor of gum. So another I'm with flavor. you. On the, uh, yeah, I'm with bowl. you. We're going, yeah, I couldn't, you know what I mean, had to change it up. Also, I, I got I to know, are you uh, being charged for the hot dogs when you go in there There's or it's just no, a free lunch? There is no charge. There's a free lunch. <laughs> on the house. I, <laughs> I love it. it. On the house. I love
2: it. I love it. Let's cut that out. The NCA might have a problem. Just kidding. All right. <laughs> <laughs> No, but honestly, this is the type of stuff I need to know. And I actually need to know it for upcoming, the NCAA tournament, obviously Division One coming up. I need to know because I need to know what routines are effective for coaches so I can go on to Bovada and I can, you know, make some educated bets, some stuff that Vegas doesn't know that only me, myself, as the insider, you know, could have insight into. What's your hidden talent, Coach? you got to have some secret talent with all those superstitions as well.
0: Um, I'll go with. uh I'm pretty good with card tricks. Um,
1: what's I, your what's your go to trick? Wait, I, no, hold on. Do you bring them out on recruiting visits? That's what I got to know. Like, you got to have <laughs> cards in your not. desk. I have maybe? not. <laughs> I, I have not.
2: It's a
0: good idea. I have not used them during a recruiting <laughs> visit. Um, oh, I, I got it. two. I got two that are like go tos for me. One's uh, one's like a sleight of hand one. Um, and then the other one is uh, a story where you use all 50, all 52 cards and you just basically tell a story and, and kind of go through the, the deck that way. So I would say card trick or, um, I, I can, I can hit a golf ball. I'm like a seven handicap.
2: Oh, wow. So, That's good. That's, um, big time. Yeah. That's good for coaching so, too. Yeah. You got to get yeah. out there, get out there, impress. You can plan on the golf outings and not embarrass yourself in front of
1: alumni. Correct.
2: Good stuff. Correct. It's never happened to me. I promise.
1: True story. When I was at College of Charleston, they have a, a golf outing every year. John Crest runs it and, it, and it's at the Ocean Course in Kiowa. So it's like a big deal, right? And people, oh, that place was awesome. So they come up to me. I'm the video coordinator. They're like, "All right, Tyler, like you're gonna pl- you, you're gonna like play in a foursome." And I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll go out there, but I don't." Small's nose. like I I don't golf. Like I, I love watching, but I don't play. And before, like the day before, Coach Crest came up to me. He was like, "Tyler, do you normally play golf?" And I was like, "No." And he was like, "Yeah, sorry, man, you you definitely can't come." And I was like, "Oh, why?" Like. <laughs> And he was like, because this is a big deal. Like, people don't want to be slowed down. Like, we're playing best ball. And I was like, yeah, it's best ball. Like, they'll just never use any of my shots. And he's like, no, I don't need anyone complaining to me at the end that they lost because they played with the guy who it every time. And John Crest was the nicest man on the face of the earth. Like, he was the greatest guy. So all the other coaching staff got to go play the freaking ocean course at Kiowa. And I had to stay in the office and work that day because I was such a bad golfer. That's a tough break right there. It was bad. It was I was the only time I was really ever upset, honestly. I was like, this is bullshit, man. Like, let me play. <laughs> oh, man. You would have been a total embarrassment, though. I'm pretty happy I would that have you did. Shot, like, is there even a chance that I could have broken
2: 300 there? Probably not, right? Like yeah, I- you would have been fine. I mean, dude, you play maxes. You're like probably an X guy. You're like taking 9X, 8X <laughs> on courses.
0: <laughs> so, that's okay. I want to know what it would have been like with – like, you probably would have been put with, like, a group of alums or, you know, like, business guys. Like, that would have been a phenomenal
1: conversation
0: They have to explain to, to your boss, like, why these guys are no longer going to be, like, donating to the program. Or, because, or they would have been, like,
1: your team donated tons of money because you were, like, the guy that wanted to shotgun beers after every hole and they had the best. That's another valid point. That's life. a good point. Like, like I, would just, I would have just tried to, like, not hit it. You know, I would have just been like, ah, you guys are good. Like, and just, you know, provide the good conversation and the comedy. Like, that would have been my job, I think. But they were they were not interested in that uh, that side of my coaching personality, I guess. Oh
2: man, we we'll have to get on the golf course and do some video content. But final question here: two podcast guests we need to have on, Coach. Uh,
0: I'll say Spider um, Jeff Wilson, and um, I'll go uh, Joe Mantegna at Blair Academy. Um, yeah, he's uh, I've known Joe for a long time. He him and Coach Wilson actually worked together at Lehigh. Um, but I think like that prep school, um, just just a look into that. I mean, he's obviously coached multiple guys in the NBA and, um, you know, it's just a, it's just a different uh, vantage point than obviously college or traditional high school. Um, so and, and he's a guy that does a lot of like season stuff like he's always going to NBA practices and those kind of things. So I, I would think both of those guys would be very interesting.
1: All right. Good suggestions. Last, uh, last segment, same two questions to every guest. We call these parting shots. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever been given?
0: Best advice I've ever been given. I'm probably going to say it's from my father, um, who, uh, gave this to me when I was probably, I'm going to say probably nine or 10. Um, uh, perseverance was a big word in our house. And he used to give he used to say perseverance. Once a job has begun, never leave it till it's done. Be the labor, great or small, do it well or not at all. Um, And that quote is in my office above my desk. Um, And I think it's just, you know, mostly about, hey, once you're committed to something, give it everything you got and just keep, keep working at it. um, And and don't give into it till you're completely done with it.
2: I'm going to change up the age for this last question, but you're face to face with your 22 year old self just after college. You know, what are you telling that person?
0: Uh, I should have shaved my head a lot earlier because I was going bald.
1: Quick. Man, um, you're like the fourth person that said that to us. Just like embrace it. Like just go. Like I think Dwayne Killing's yeah. told us that. Like just just yeah. get the razor out and just be like, man, this is happening. I'm not going to walk around with a bad hairline.
0: Yeah, I I, I I use the term to guys now. Just fire it before it leaves you. you know what I mean? just, <laughs> just, just just get rid of it. Okay, it's it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna go well. 22 um, year old self. Um, Advice this is a great question. I thought a lot about this one, and I don't know if I have a great answer. Um, if I was face to face with myself at 22 years old, I would say um, to enjoy the ride. You know, I think early in my career, like I said earlier, I, the ups and the downs. And now I think I've become much more, um, you know, down the middle and understand. Hey, you're going to win some games. You're going to lose some games. You're, you're going to get a recruit. You're not going to get a recruit. Um, you know, so it's just. To, to the younger coaches that are out there, um, enjoy it. I mean, like we've said before, I mean, it, you know, we're, we're coaching a game for a living. Um, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, you know, and, and then the other thing that I tell my players all the time is don't chase the dollar chase happiness. So find something that you really love to do and it's going to be much more enjoyable for you as an adult. And if, yeah, you're making a lot of money, but you don't really love what you do. And and I know, you know, money kind of makes the world go round. But, um you know, try to find something that you really enjoy. And, and I've been able to do that for, for 19 years. I've never felt like I worked a day in my life.
1: No, I, I, I hear that. And I think that is good advice. I appreciate you giving us a couple different ones, uh, because I think it's always good stuff to consider. But, We've taken up a lot of your time. Like I said, it is Selection Sunday, and, and we do know that your wife wants you to be a little bit more balanced. So I don't want to take away any more time with, with it's a national you.
0: holiday. It's a national holiday, right? I mean, Selection Sunday is a national <laughs> holiday.
1: Honestly, before we sign off, like I always I have a love-hate relationship with Selection Sunday. I wish they just revealed a bracket. I'm so tired of Charles Barkley like talking about college basketball when he hasn't watched all year. But I, I want like Temple to make it so badly. I'm really hoping they're in the first four just because they announced those games first. So I can just turn the TV off after like two so minutes. turn and, it off right after. This. Yeah. Instead of having to wait for like hours and, and just be like on the edge of my seat, like biting my nails. I, I want to get to the point where this doesn't matter to me anymore.
2: Yeah. But I'm, Tyler I'm, loves life. And you can tell he's real, he's real enthusiastic, real positive guy.
1: I mean, it's like, I have said this before, like bracketology and bubble watch is like drugs for people. They just like, cannot get enough of it. It, it just, and so this time of year, it's just flooded on your timeline. John Rothstein's tweeting every five minutes. Like Joe Leonardi's on TV from like a bunker. Nobody knows where he is, but he's on TV every 45 minutes. It's like, it's just you just, I'm just so excited for today. Like we get the bracket going. Duke's probably gonna win it all anyway. Like I said, just go to Bovada and, and put all your money on that. It's fine. But like I just am, you're right. It's a national holiday. It's everybody's favorite day of the year. And now we get to argue about who did or didn't get in. So I'm really excited. That's about that.
0: the that's the one part that 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 drives me crazy at the end. Like you're saying, like the drawing out of selection. And then the, then the talk goes to, well, who didn't make it
1: like that? Like it matters. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing we can all do about it.
2: Yeah, it it's cares?
1: just, it, and again, like, because I guess, because I'm a little bit jaded and Smalls is going to make fun of me, but because this impacts so many coaches jobs, like this one yeah. hour long show, especially the division one level impacts so many people's livelihoods. Like it may seem like I'm being dramatic, but it, it just definitely does. You know? So I don't know. I'm going to watch and hopefully Temple's in there and and then I'm going to probably have to do yard work. So it's going to be a really fun Sunday. But he is at uh, Coach underscore Potts on Twitter if you want to follow him. They are at MC Greyhounds on Twitter if you want to follow Moravian. And Justin, man, thanks for all the time this morning. Uh, Great insight. We we had a blast. And uh, enjoy some time off, all right?
0: Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. I appreciate what you guys do.